please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello and welcome to your morning espresso. If you're watching this live, it is Wednesday, the 20th of January 2021. Now, later today, we will see the inauguration of uh, President Joe Biden. He will be the 46th President of the United States. So, what we thought we would do is we would take this theme and run it across uh, the whole of the morning espresso uh, this morning. So, First up, um, I'm joined by our senior macro strategist, that's Sebastian Gali. Good morning, Sebastian. Are you there? Good morning. Hi. So, Sebastian, um, I don't know if you know this, but the 100-day concept, you know, this whole idea of the hundred, first 100 days, um, I think it goes back to France, and it was actually when Bonaparte left uh, Elba and went back to Paris, and it was the time between him um, leaving Elba and, and actually his defeat at the Battle of Waterloo, where, of course, the English, together with their allies, the Germans, uh, beat the French there. And that was, those were the 100 days. Um, in the US, it wasn't really something that was important until the 30s in, in 1933. Um, and we had Franklin Roosevelt, who, you know, in those days, obviously, we had the financial crisis and he was doing his fireside chats. And uh, this is where the, the 100 days kind of kind of picked up. So. Um, the 100-day theme uh, has been around for a long time, and it's a very important thing in the US. So perhaps we could start with you know, what your expectations are for the Joe Biden presidency in the first 100 days. Sure. And uh, if we focus on the slides, and then what we should uh, see is that uh, the first movement that they're going to do is to try to make uh, their appointees move through the cabinet, uh, through the Senate, and that will take weeks and months, but there are some crucial ones who need to go first. For example, Janet Yellen as a treasury secretary and people in um, national security type of uh, positions. And that is a slow process, which will be slowed down potentially uh, by the judgment uh, or the judging of the president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, depending on how they do it. For now, uh, they haven't moved to the Senate uh, and they might wait past 100 days to do this. The second thing is the use of executive power. And we've already have an example of this in the sense that the president-elect is uh, moving uh, to block the Keystone pipeline, which is deeply unpopular on the left. The third thing is tackling the pandemic. They promise 100 million vaccine doses that could be administered within the first 100 days. This is already at a decently high pace uh, right now, so disappointing, and it would mean uh, an acceleration of the process. Fourth, the economy with a large fiscal package, which is promised at 1.9 trillion and possibly in addition student debt reductions. Fifth, climate, and that's basically joining the Paris Climate Accord or Agreement to reverse some of the orders on energy from Trump, which favored pollutions, call an international su summit and reinstate stringent fuel efficiency requirements, which are so popular, for example, in California. 
Finally, uh, immigration, uh, which is very much at the core of the, of the Democrats, which is to reinstate DACA for children. It's a special program to take care of children who arrive alone at the border, stop the wall easier, uh, some ease for asylum seeker and reverse some bans on some majority Muslim countries like Iran and Syria. Now, Great. Yeah. yeah. Now, just one point that I wanted to make is that 100 Days is very popular, obviously, in France because it's such a dashing episode. And one of the <laughs> point that Napoleon made uh, at one point, uh, because there were troops who were sent to arrest him, and every time they would uh, come to arrest him, they would join him. And at one point, he said, enough, <laughs> stop sending them. <laughs> Great. Well, um, maybe moving on to the next thing, because... Uh, our audience, if they were watching in the run-up last year to the to the presidential election, we would we ran a couple of specials and we were talking about this blue wave, and that's the idea that Democrats control both the House and the Senate, and uh, that wasn't looking so likely a couple of months ago, but actually that's what's happened. And I just wondered what you feel will be the impact, both in terms of you know the market, but also um, the Federal Reserve. Sure. Let me see if we focus on the next line in terms of uh, the potential. What we know about this uh, blue wave is that it is uh, a powerful thing. We think it's going to continue to be the main theme in the first part of the year. And one of the key elements is that uh, the, the Democrats, both on the level of the Fed as well as the level of the Treasury, want to run the economy hot. As Janet Yellen is pointing out, she wants uh, to do something big uh, when interest rates are so low, take advantage of them to try to boost the economy. And that might potentially be a little bit inflationary in the short term, uh, but in the longer run, it helps to move the economy from what could be a low level equilibrium to a high level equilibrium. So that's quite important in the in the long run. And also, of course, it would affect the speed at which the, the Fed would uh, taper. So it, imagining that we have a, a big fiscal package like a 1.9 trillion one, uh, we're promised uh, 2 trillion, for example, eventually that's probably gonna be staggered over the years uh, on uh, just on climate. Uh, all of these packages uh, feed into an economy and that eventually leads uh, to a quicker action by the Federal Reserve, which of course uh, is uh, has a positive impact on the dollar. If we'll focus on point three, infrastructure, it's the Build Back Better America. Uh, it's a very large uh, package potentially of 1.7 trillion. Uh, it has impact for on the energy sector, for example, and the many other sectors such as classical infrastructure. On point four, we can see that it can be negative on oil. Why? Because ESG concern, uh, environmental, social concern, uh, probably will have a negative impact on the oil sector. And it could also be that we have a negative impact on the tech sector as they come under increasing regulations. There are concerns that they are develop illegal ballistic and monopolistic powers, uh, which are hampering innovation and the competition inside the United States. And finally, if the economy does run hot, it's very good for cyclical it's very good for value uh, and overall it's a very encouraging story or for the entire U.S. economy. Yeah it's interesting I'm just starting to hear a little bit from the market about value you know clients are starting to talk about value right now so it's interesting uh, point there. Let's just uh, do the uh, the summary in, in time-honored fashion and uh, so here we are the the key takeaways. First of all um, the Democrats are going to run the economy hot so uh, the implication is cyclical assets. Um, sure. Yep. Sure. And one point I should mention is if your economy runs hot and you get a bit of inflation, the Fed will not care. 
but if you get persistent inflation, then they start to care and eventually they start to taper and they start to hike. And that has a complex impact. But for now, we don't really care. We are in the process of getting a boost. Uh, and uh, and the, the end of that process is, uh, is a few quarters down the road. And, and actually the Fed rhetoric changed towards the end of last year. They were, they were showing a little bit more flexibility in the way that they manage inflation. So uh, I, I guess they're expecting this coming. Yeah. yeah. And then secondly, we have Build Back Better America. Um, we have obviously the infrastructure, which is gonna be the focus of the rest of the session this morning, um, as well as ESG as well. So uh, you mentioned the 1.7 trillion uh, over the next 10 years, it's a huge amount of money. And uh, yeah, that's, that's gonna have an impact on, on various asset classes. For sure, yeah. I think it's a, it's a very important development, um, not only uh, on the infrastructure side, but also it's an implication on the green economy. Exactly. Sebastian, thank you again for joining us and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Right, well, next up, I am joined by Jeremy Anagnos. Now, those of you who are watching um, Morning Espresso on a regular basis, We'll already know Jeremy. He works at CBRE Clarion. He's based in Philadelphia and he is the manager of our global listed infrastructure strategy. Jeremy, a very good morning to you. Hey, Paul. Good morning to you as well. Hi. It's been a couple of months uh, since we last spoke and uh, quite a few things have, have happened uh, in the interim. Uh, first of all, we had the confirmation of um, of Joe Biden as the next president, obviously, um, but then also, you know, the Democrats uh, winning the Senate, which is uh, obviously a big deal. Um, and uh, I'm assuming that this only makes things even more bullish uh, for listed infrastructure um, as an asset class. Um, but actually, you know, I'd, I'd just be super interested to hear, you know, your outlook for the asset class going into 2021. Yeah, um, some really interesting notes that Sebastian talked about that I'll touch on. Um, but if we turn to the first slide, just a, a quick overview of the outlook for, for this year. And, um, you know, infrastructure, listed infrastructure underperformed global equities last year. Um, and, you know, that I think uh, as we saw the market kind of looking to kind of the new economy, uh, I think we're going to have a refocus on the essential economy and, and really some dynamics that are in place. Um, to re-energize interest, um, um, notably on the political and regulatory support. So um, clearly, as, as uh, Sebastian noted, things like, you know, the pushing forward of, of the climate policies here in the U.S., but we're seeing it on a global scale, uh, as we'll talk about. And so uh, there's a lot of attention to this. It's promoting investment, um, which is going to inure to the benefit of the listed companies, uh, investors are increasingly putting fund flows into you know, these types of investments, which uh, again benefits uh, the market overall. We also had underperformance from things like you know, airports and the transport sector in 2020 because of COVID and travel restrictions. And there's a potential for that, of course, uh, to rebound once you know, we get past all of uh, uh, this environment we've been in and vaccine gets more um, you know, penetration into the market. Uh, and then as we'll talk about, there's a big discount of the listed market versus um, both the equity and bond markets, uh, as well as private infrastructure. And so there's M&A potential to drive interest in uh, buying these discounted assets in the public market by large private institutions. 
so there's quite a lot to unwrap there and perhaps you know we we can sort of dive a bit deeper into each of those different areas because i think each of them are sort of critical to this asset class but um it's interesting that you mention uh, as an alternative to perhaps investment grade and in, in such a low yield environment you know um infrastructure what's interesting is you you have these very steady very predictable cash flows um but you also think that you know we're going to be entering a, a capex or super cycle uh, within infrastructure, don't you? So I just wondered why it is that you think that. Yeah, and I think it, it points to some of the uh, topics again that Sebastian was noting. But if we go to the next slide, um, just kind of the the three main supporting pillars to this capex super cycle, and it really starts with the top-down support from the political and regulatory environment that we are seeing governments all around the world um, you know, coalesce behind the view that we need to reduce carbon in our uh, energy production uh, and they're providing support for the investment. So they are promoting policies and even shutting things down. He mentioned Keystone Pipeline not moving forward here in the US. So stopping fossil fuel infrastructure development and promoting clean energy. Uh, that's going to lead to a massive acceleration. So um, one of the groups we follow, you know, just um, recently updated their forecasts of, you know, nearly doubling the amount of capital needed to spend to reach these more aggressive targets uh, mm -hmm. of, of net carbon zero, you know, and it's both governments and corporates that, that are promoting this. And mm -hmm. of, of course, it's all the backdrop of low interest rates. So that yep. very low interest rate environment that promoting uh, capital investment at, at significantly uh, attractive spreads to the company's cost of capital. Yeah. Yeah. And these are huge sums of money. And obviously, it's going to be spread out over many years. But uh, I think the opportunity is, is coming up very soon. Um, we, we're talking about that blue wave. And, uh, you know, I, I personally think this is a really big deal uh, for the infrastructure space um, because basically there, there are kind of two main agenda points um, coming up for the, for the Democrats. The first one is the huge amount of money that they have earmarked for infrastructure spending. And the second one is, is of course, you know, this Green New Deal uh, where you have, like you mentioned, the, the, the sort of decarbonization agenda and the build back better, like Sebastian said earlier. So, you know, both of these things are gonna be hugely beneficial uh, for the infrastructure asset class. Do you see, you know, policy support um, accelerating under a Joe Biden administration? Do you think that's coming? Yeah, I think certainly based on what we've um, seen from the Biden administration of what they've talked about, and you can see it in the, uh, people that he's promoting to different positions, um, already re-strengthening the EPA here in the US, which is the federal energy regulator. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then of course, talking about uh, an infrastructure uh, bill, which will follow you know, the, the COVID relief bill that, or COVID relief bill number four or five, whatever number we're on that he'll come forward with. Um, yep. But certainly again, trying to promote investment uh, but I think it's worth reminding that some of this activity is already occurring. So if we go to the next slide, this yep. policy support, um, which, you know, just retracing our steps a little bit to the end of December, um, the U.S. passed some legislation uh, just around Christmas time, uh, including a COVID relief bill. Um, 
And in fact, part of that bill included a number of measures to support clean energy investment. So even before Biden uh, administration comes in, they extended tax credits for wind and solar, um, tax subsidies for new types of, of clean energy investment like hydrogen and, and carbon capture, uh, promoting investment of renewables on, on federal lands and, and things like that. So we're already seeing the US government pushing more towards um, you know, clean energy support. And as this slide notes, you, know, you can see on the right-hand side, just in the last six months um, across the world, we have policy support accelerating in Europe, yeah. in Asia, uh, in Australia. And it's just going to facilitate the amount of investment uh, to um, ease the entry of these companies and making those renewable investments, providing the financing, uh, and even subsidizing, in many cases, the, the ongoing need for, for more innovation and technologies. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that Sebastian chose to to choose the word uh, build back better America because that build back better meme, you know, you find that everywhere. I mean, that's in the UK, it's in, in Europe, like you say, in Australia, you know, you're hearing it again and again. I think it came from the UN originally. So it's not just a US phenomenon. This is something that, that really is global. Um, and, and this transition to clean energy is gonna be uh, a big topic for everyone uh, also in the investment community. So I just wondered now, you know, as a portfolio manager, how can you benefit or how can you position yourself for this, this transition? Yeah, and so, you know, half of our investment opportunity set in listed infrastructure are utilities. Um, and as we look to the next slide, you know, utilities are, um, they play a key role in the entire, um, you know, cycle of energy production, uh, transmission, and distribution. Uh, and so they're going to play a role in this clean energy transition uh, through the uh, building the generation and the assets of wind and solar, uh, but also investing in their networks, um, in the regulated portion of their assets that facilitate, of course, connecting those uh, renewable assets um, that make it more reliable uh, for us and, and having the access to that power um, and so we invest in integrated utilities companies like NL um, in, in Europe, uh, Italian-based regulated utility that's a significant developer of renewables. Um, mm -hmm. But we also develop in you know, purely regulated uh, businesses as well, like American Electric Power uh, utility here in the US. Um, but they are investing again in these various assets that are going to be supported by this um, long-term transition uh, to, to clean energy. And I think a slide like this, if you look at the chart, it's projecting out to 2050, this growth. Um, so this is a long you know, process. It provides a lot of visibility uh, for our companies um, and, and an area where we can capture you know, that very predictable and, and opportunistic way for the companies to invest in this CapEx super cycle. Yeah, exactly. That's the super cycle, right? And we're just starting now. So uh good time to be talking about listed infrastructure. So we have the regulatory and we have the political support uh, and, and this environment where we're seeing a shift uh, towards uh, listed infrastructure. But actually, uh, you know, right at the, the beginning when, when you were going through that first slide, you also, also mentioned, um, you know, this, this gap that we're seeing opening up between um, the, the private infrastructure space and the, the, the listed infrastructure space. And, and the reason for that is, is basically there's a wall of money hitting private 
private markets and uh, the managers in that space are, are literally just struggling to deploy that much capital that quickly so this is going to have an impact on on the listed space as well and i just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that yeah you outlined it very well paul that there's a, a, a tremendous interest in the asset class because of its investment benefits characteristics that it's you know not correlated to the cycles it it's, uh, has an income profile we'll talk about the benefits of income uh, but in private infrastructure, you know, you're dealing with a relatively scarce amount of supply of new infrastructure assets. And so there's yeah. a lot of competition for those assets. And as we can see on the slide, um, those private investors are paying a significant premium in terms of multiple uh, evaluation versus where we see the same assets trading in the listed market. So that's crazy, almost, no? Yeah, it's 16 times average multiples paid. Um, it's a, this is representative of 128 transactions. So this is all types of assets, toll roads, utilities, renewable assets, communication, and the same universe in the listed market trading at just over 12 times. Yeah. Um, and what this is leading to, you know, these private investors are not, um, you know, they're very sophisticated. They're going to look for, you know, that, that arbitrage. And so we're seeing some M&A activity. Mm -hmm. There was a New Zealand infrastructure company that received a, a takeover bid from an Australian superannuation fund in the fourth quarter. Um, and just recently, you know, we've had a French uh, water infrastructure company receive interest from uh, one of the largest private investors uh, in the world for a, a take private transaction. So these discounts are being recognized. And, and I think for you know, investors in listed infrastructure, it's just a great time uh, to come in at, at a really attractive relative valuation. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that, actually, because, um, you know, obviously, when you look at certainly in, in the equity space, uh, you know, you look at price earnings, it's looking stretched for most asset classes. If you look on the fixed income side, obviously, uh, yields are, are very low. I just wondered then, you know, how, how does that look in the uh, listed infrastructure space? I mean, where are we in terms of the valuations? Yeah, let's go straight to the slide, because I think visually it helps to see you know, how discounted we are um, relative to the, the two major asset classes. So on the left-hand side, the relative EBITDA multiple of infrastructure versus uh, global equities, you know, historically was about a 12% premium. Uh, and today we're, we're over a 10% discount. So, um, you know, 20% plus gap relative multiple. You can see the last time we were at this level was back around the, uh, just after the global financial crisis. Um, and that's because our EBITDA has held up and our prices have not. <laughs> so in the, in the equity market, of course, has seen equity prices go up and EBITDA has been challenged. And then on the right hand side, you know, our dividend yield of listed infrastructure relative to corporate bond yields historically was below the level of corporate bond yield. So your dividend yield was a negative spread. Um, and of course, today with bond yields so low and our dividend yield is the same it's been over the last 20 years, you now get a premium dividend yield in listed infrastructure versus corporate bonds, um, which is quite, I think, attractive again, because you get that income stream and you have historically received 7% dividend growth. Um, so, you know, you get a, a very consistent income plus the growth. And if we are gonna get inflation, as Sebastian you know, said, perhaps, you know, acceleration inflation, you know, that, that's some protection to your income stream that you could look forward to. Uh, clearly, this is not financial advice, but that looks like a great buying opportunity there. But, but buy low, sell high, right? Um, 
you uh, you just mentioned there, Sebastian did did talk about uh, inflation, and could you just maybe just touch on why it is that this is such a good inflation protected uh, space as well? Because I think that's an important point. Yeah, it is, and and one of the characteristics of why those private investors are coming to infrastructure is. Uh, the nature of the regulation allows for the companies to earn um, the growth and in inflation in their cost base back. So they are protected and you as an owner of those assets are protected from inflation. You get to you know, incorporate that in your return, uh, recoup it back from the, the users of the assets. And it's either explicit or implicit in the structure uh, of the assets. Um, and so, you know, again, in, in higher inflation periods over time, we have seen infrastructure um, you know, protect, you know, value much better than the broader equity market. Excellent. Good. Well, we've come to the end of the session this morning. So we have our key takeaways, which we're going to pull up uh, now. I'm just going to run through them very quickly. If you uh, would like to add anything, of course, feel free to interrupt me. So um, first of all, uh, we think that infrastructure is very well positioned uh, in 2021 as we go into uh, a new administration in the US. But actually, as we said, it's, it's a global phenomenon that we're seeing here. Um, and we have this political regulatory uh, support. Um, and uh, you mentioned that uh, M&A activity is starting uh, to tick up as well. So uh, a lot of tailwind uh, for the asset class uh, as a whole. And then uh, we see uh, this <laughs> triple discount. So, you know, this, this big gap relative to the private market um, and uh, that will have a spillover effect onto the global listed market for sure. And then of course, uh, ESG. And, uh, you know, this is uh, another uh, transition that we're gonna see uh, to the new economy and, uh, sustainable communities and, and water and so on. A lot of this actually fits in with the UN SDGs. Um, and so uh, we think that, again, this is an important factor for the asset class. That's it, Jeremy, any last words before I say goodbye? Uh, no, I think um, just to say we're, we're looking forward to, um, you know, a new administration here in the US, just a bit more stability and so, uh, Happy, uh, happy we moved on to, uh, to Inauguration Day. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us once again. Uh, it's always super interesting. And uh, let's see how this plays out. Next Wednesday, the 27th of January, um, I will be joined by Henrik Stiller of European covered bond fame. Uh, I know many of you have benefited from um, owning this asset class in the, in the years gone by. So uh, certainly one not to miss. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert website. Uh, you'll find that at nordia.lu. And there we have all of the um, previous recordings that we've done, the videos, also podcast versions and Q and A's as well. And also, if you haven't already seen it, then uh, please do go and visit our new website, which is Nordea Asset Management, all written together, uh, dot com. That's it for now. I'll see you next week.